This is episode 339 with personal trainer, strength and conditioning coach, elite climber, and the co-author of the new book, Pain and Performance, Ryan Whited. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and my singular goal is to help you improve your running by getting stronger, racing faster, preventing more injuries, and achieving more of your goals. I'm a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine, a 239 marathoner, and author of the Performance Training Journal on Amazon. You can learn more about me and strength running at strengthrunning.com. And if you enjoy this show, then please support our partners who are offering you some great deals on amazing products that are going to help your performances and overall health. First is my favorite way to hydrate, Element. Element is a delicious, sugar-free, high-sodium electrolyte mix. I love this stuff because it's perfect for endurance runners who are sweating a lot, drinking a lot of water, and because of that, can be susceptible to imbalances. If you happen to have a high sweat rate, or you're like me and you just have very salty sweat, you're going to want all 1,000 milligrams of sodium that's included in Element. Electrolytes play a key role in helping you avoid dehydration, dizziness, cramps, and tiredness, especially after long runs or workouts. An element is used by the military, law enforcement, professional sports teams, and they're the official hydration partner of Team USA Weightlifting. Get your free sample pack with any purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning, and they're going to let you try every flavor. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning for your free sample pack. Next is Prevenex, the only supplement company that I trust. And Prevenex has a big announcement. They've just released their new product, Muscle Health Plus, a combination of creatine, branch chain, and essential amino acids, as well as ingredients to aid protein synthesis and absorption. Use code JASON15 for 15% off your first order at Prevenex.com. Now, if you're a master's runner, you want to build some muscle, or you're particularly injury-prone, Muscle Health Plus will help you hold on to your muscle and rebound faster from workouts and long runs. See all the details at Prevenex.com, and be sure to use code JASON15 to save 15% off your first purchase. My guest today is Ryan Whited. Ryan has written a book with author and coach Matt Fitzgerald called Pain and Performance, a revolutionary new way to use training as treatment for pain and injury. Ryan is a personal trainer and strength and conditioning coach who owns Paragon Athletics in Flagstaff, Arizona. He's an elite climber and works with every kind of athlete imaginable to resolve their pain and continue participating in the sport they love. In this conversation, Ryan shares a new perspective on pain and why we might be getting our approach to it all wrong. If you're dealing with chronic pain, but you're having trouble resolving it, or you have in the past and you want to prevent any future pain, you're going to love this episode. Now, if you're interested in the topic of injury resiliency and building your durability, go to strengthrunning.com prevention, and you can get my most popular coaching advice on how to stay healthy. And now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Ryan Whited. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks for having me. So I'm really glad you're here. You've written a very interesting book with uh, Matt Fitzgerald, my brother from another mother, as we like to joke about, uh, all about pain, injuries, 
and how we might be getting treatment wrong with our current approaches. And, you know, Ryan, I am very personally interested in, in this idea and your approach because it's the opposite of what I did when I was running competitively about 20 years ago. You know, as soon as I experienced any kind of pain or a niggle, the standard practice was just to shut things down for about a week and then cautiously resume running, you know, about a week later. And um, I should have figured out that this approach rarely worked because I was injured a lot. (laughs) Maybe we can start with the title of the first chapter of your new book, Pain and Performance. It's titled Pain is a Gift. What do you mean by that? Uh, Pain, if, if it's used correctly, can be quite a gift. Like it is quite a tool to use. The problem is that we've conflated uh, pain with injury, like even in our intro. Uh, it's just something that we do culturally. We, we think the two things are the same thing, and they're not the same thing. So you can absolutely learn to use pain to your advantage. Um, yeah, it just takes, it takes some recontextualization. So you have to kind of rethink what pain even means, what it is. Because uh, I think most people think, oh, this is tissue that's damaged and uh, it has to heal. Ironically, tissue heals with, with use. <laughs> so, uh, so, but we've conflated those two ideas and it's caused a lot of problems and, and with people making decisions toward, you know, anywhere from your training programming to, um, to having, you know, a, a labral surgery, like, those kinds of things. It, it has influences us across the board when it comes to like musculoskeletal injuries or pain. So what is pain? Do, do we actually know what pain is? Because reading your book, I, I don't think I actually know. <laughs> and it seems like most people don't know. No. So the International Association of the Study of Pain defines it as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage. Um, so even just potential, um, that was, it, that definition um, what hasn't been around that long, actually. And really, truthfully, we really don't know what pain is. It, it is um, fundamentally an experience, you know, a subjective experience that we all have um, as individuals. But it's it's the, the biology of pain is so complex that it starts to like look more like trying to define consciousness as soon as you get just a little ways into it. So it's not like it's, we don't have any idea we have, you know, uh, we have some ideas and that are really useful. It's not like, you know, nothing matters at all. Cause I think that can be easily misunderstood that we don't understand it at all, but um, it's much different than what we uh, thought for many, many years. So we designed an entire system of care around the notion that it represented tissue damage. And if you still ask, you know, most um, experts, they'll still tell you that. Like if you go to see somebody for something that hurts, like a clinician or a doctor, uh, they're probably still going to approach it like, oh, there's tissue damage here somewhere. Uh, we have to find that. We know that that is fundamentally wrong. Um, it is fundamentally counterfactual. So we just can't say that anymore. I, I think this idea is very interesting because almost everyone thinks this, like you've said. And th- there's these 
interesting hints at the truth that I can uh, see from my own running career that that just make this topic very illuminating to me. So, for example, you know, I talked previously when something started to hurt 20 years ago when I was, you know, training very competitively, I would just stop running. And then a week later, I'd start running again. And often the pain would just still be there. And so, okay, yep. <laughs> the, the, the healed tissue apparently is, is not the cause of this pain. But then the opposite is, is often true, where I might have had some you know, little thing that was hurting. And I, at the time, thought I was making the boneheaded decision of, I'm going to go run that workout anywhere, anyway. And I would go run a workout. It wouldn't hurt at all. And then I would never experience the pain again. And everything that I had known at the time was screaming at me that this shouldn't be happening. That if something hurts, going to run a hard workout should only make it worse. And, and I just find this, this so fascinating because I, I've sort of experienced it, but your book really helped put it into light. We've all experienced it. It's interesting. Um... It, it's it's like hidden in plain sight all the time. Like you, we've all had those bruises where you know you go, where did that bruise come from? Sometimes even significant, uh, and you have no idea when that happened. But you obviously you know caused enough tissue damage that you're bleeding, uh, you know, and but you never noticed the bruise or you never noticed the injury. So um, this this hap- this is in plain sight all the time. It's just really hard for us to reconcile. Yeah. And with what we're learning now about pain through the pain science literature, it it seems like there are uh, four of these fundamental truths that you write about that we keep learning or that keep getting reconfirmed. Uh, And you write that pain is mysterious, pain is information, pain is individual, and pain is controllable. Can we talk about each one of these and and talk a little bit more about what you mean? Um, So let's start with pain is mysterious. Well, pain is very mysterious, so it's not nearly as reliable uh, as an indication of like a health, as a state of your health. You can literally be, um, like if you're in a waiting room to see a doctor, you just picture, you know, 10 people in there, the person that's in the most amount of pain can absolutely be the healthiest person in the room. So, and then the person in the least amount of pain can be at death's door. So it is one of those things that is really hard for us to get our heads around so that that can be the case, but that can very well be the case. It is just sometimes very mysterious. So the next thing you write, Ryan, is that pain is information, which seems to be a little bit contradictory with pain is mysterious. Can you talk about that? It's not like there's there's no useful information. You know, you, the, it's just Santa Claus and unicorns with pain. <laughs> There, there is useful information there, and we kind of have to monitor, you know. Uh, and if you know certain things uh, to watch for um, that sometimes coincide, then you can you can make better use of it. So, like if you're in a if you're training suddenly took a significant uptick, you know, and then we know, you know, okay, maybe possibly it does have to do with your tissue reaching some of its tolerances. Um, but it, it, it's, it's information that can be monitored, but not reflexively uh, acted on. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of putting it. I, I really like that because it, it also, at the same time that it's telling you something, 
it, it's not like we should put pain on a pedestal and move around it in every single way that we approach our training. And it, it's just seems like it gives athletes a lot more agency, a lot more control, and even some additional freedom to, to continue training, uh, which we're definitely going to talk more about. Um, now you also write that pain is individual. Now this is a little bit, uh, uh, seems like every pain is individual. What do you mean by that? So it's a subjective experience that is, that is really hard. I mean, we've tried to quantify it in every way possible. There's so many indexes out there that, uh, are used, um, you know, with the classic one to 10 scale, uh, which I had heard somebody describe the one to 10 scale as if somebody asked you to describe music to them, the only thing you could describe it with is with volume. So it's such a simplified version of this really complex experience. Um, and so we all bring our history to it, our beliefs about it, our the, the, like our life's context we bring to this experience, you know, and it's you, you, my experience is going to be 100% different from anybody else's. And like, yeah, I mean, it'd be the same for any of so with back to the, the question before this, sorry to Jason, um, it, when we do get reactant to, um, or avoidant of training because of pain, sometimes if you've done that for long enough, it can actually reinforce, um, a pain experience because you're avoiding this thing. So it reinforces, uh, that action. So it's one of those important things for people to kind of know, like, uh, um, like, like the rest, you know, like immediately when we used to say, you know, oh, it's time for rest, um, that can, that can end up with, um, living in like a pendulum where you're like, oh, I'm injured. Oh, I've ceased my training. Oh, I'm trying to back return to training, but then you just end up injured training, injured training without ever kind of landing in the middle, which is a much better place to, uh, try to land. Yeah, it seems like it seems like I'm learning that pain is subjective, it's emotional, and it's an experience rather than what most of us grew up with learning, which is pain is a physical response to a damaged tissue. Is that fair? That is 100% accurate. Yeah. So the notion was, uh, without getting too into like neuroscience... Um, there are free nerve endings called nociceptors that we have that give information to the central nervous system. Um, that goes up to the brain. The brain kind of makes some choices about it, uh, that information. Uh, and it, at a one point, they thought that nociceptors uh, were pain receptors. In fact, if you talk to most clinicians, most docs nowadays, they probably still say that they're pain receptors. But we know that they are not pain receptors. They, uh, they suggest that something could be wrong, but that is a long ways from something, you know, showing that something is wrong. So we just happen to build all of our ideas and care system off of that. Uh, it's, a, it's a classic post hoc fallacy. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Can you define that for us? Sure. It's, it's um, without knowing, you know, this causes that, we, you make an assumption so uh, you like we looked 
when somebody had pain, we would look into a part of the body that we thought, you know, oh, that is wrong. And uh, like, like, we'll say, you know, uh, let's see, pick one. Usually I go with the hip because it's, uh, it's so common to runners. Um, you know, they'll look for something that's damaged in the hip or different in the hip, um, like a labral tear or a uh, cam deformity or a pinto deformity, those deformities. But now we know that those abnormalities uh, very are more common to runners than are uh, less common. So it's it we we made this assumption that that, that represented what what was causing our pain, uh, and we know now that that's just not the case. That it's that it's been shown like all over the body, so from shoulders to feet to knees, hips. Um, very often we have those abnormalities without in our asymptomatic. Yeah. It's like very much like learning that not, you know, not every runner is symmetrical. In fact, probably no runner is symmetrical. And a lot of us have been sort of made to believe that symmetry is something we should be striving for, but it just doesn't exist in nature. And, and now we're sort of learning a similar lesson about pain. And, and I find that I find that very liberating because it, it allows us more freedom in our training and our approaches. Um, and, you know, the, the last principle that seems to be reconfirmed in the latest pain science that you write about is, is maybe my favorite, which is pain is controllable. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Is this, is this like, you know, we have more agency over this, we can solve these issues, we can reduce our pain and, and get going on the business of, of training. Absolutely. You know, even just bringing a different context to a pain experience and realizing that it's not representative of the state of your tissue uh, is freeing. In a, and, you know, immediately you're like, oh, this doesn't mean that there's something that's going to require healing time for my pain to change. There are so many other ways to uh, change the pain. We know that sleep matters quite a lot. We know that relationships matter quite a lot. You know, there are other things that really influence uh, our pain experience. Um, and, you know, sometimes, like, there are folks, like, I work with a runner that is a really talented ultra runner, and um, she has a, a, um autoimmune disorder. And so she just experiences pain, like, quite a lot. But we know that she can continue training. We just have to kind of, like, work with it a bit, you know. But she, her her training was quite high, obviously, you know, as an ultra athlete. Um, but we just kind of, because we know that she's going to have a little more pain along the way. Um, it helps us kind of like, uh, with her, her, uh, training programming. So, you know, it's, it's, we, we've, we've, we've made it so like tissue centric. Um, it's so simple that it's, it's absurd. Uh, literally like we compare ourselves to cars uh and we are so much different than cars we every 80 to 100 days we uh turn over 30 trillion cells we are a dynamic system not a car i, I like that analogy um especially because it just recognizes the fact that we are constantly changing and uh very much unlike a car right unlike a car yeah we adapt cars wear out <laughs> Brilliant. Now, Ryan, uh, 
we've sort of touched on this indirectly, but a big piece of this approach is, is understanding that the structural model of injury is just kind of wrong. Can you go over like what this model means and, and help us understand why it's misguided? Yeah, it's, you know, it brings such a um, simple take on pain to the table that it does, it's causing more damage than it's helping with our, like, community-wide, not just amongst athletes. Like, um, there's something called the illusion of explanatory depth. Um, and when when you ask somebody, you know, like, hey, how does a microwave work? Um, and they're like, I don't really know, but I know that it heats my food up. And that's of very little consequence. But when you ask somebody, how does pain work? Um, then they can get about one why question deep. And, and it's more than likely going to be wrong. And, but you are going to make some of the biggest decisions of your life off of this idea. So you are going to make decisions about your training, uh, about your career if you're an athlete, about your uh, surgery that you're considering for your low back. You know, these, all these things, and, and you can't even get, you know, three why questions deep on how does pain work. So is the structural model sort of going back to the car analogy that we're like a car and if something hurts, it's, you know, it's the hubcap, it's the tire, it's something in the engine, it's the kneecap, you know, it's, it's some physical structure that is deteriorating or breaking down and, and we need to bring our body back into the shop and, and fix that up. Absolutely. That's the idea. The uh, uh, study that I've quoted, cited a few times is they looked at... Um, I think 97 female volleyball players with an average age of 18, 62% of them uh, uh, had disc degenerative changes. Uh, the reason that's air quote degenerative changes is because it's just changes. Um, we change. Um, and with an average age of 18, and they were all asymptomatic. But if one of those girls had pain, in their back and needed a, uh, somebody needed a way to explain it, uh, then they could t- do an MRI and go, this is why you have degenerative changes in your back. So it's just a horribly flawed model. Well, I prefer your model, Ryan, because it's essentially training as treatment. And, and I think that is music to runners ears because look, we, we don't like to take time off from running. We want to keep running. We love running. Uh, so, so let's explore this a little bit more. How do we use our training to treat pain? Because that admittedly seems almost too good to be true. I know there's going to be some injured runners listening to this who are very interested right now, and me included. Yeah, you know, how I've learned to say this, because I've been asked these questions so much now, um, is I can give you a compass, but there is no map. <laughs> so it is a little bit of trial and error. Um, but that is just kind of the nature of the process. So um, if you if you want a map, you're going to be a little frustrated. But if you know that, okay, I can find a general direction and I can tinker with my training uh, a bit, um, you know, I can change the volume that I'm doing this week or I can change the terrain that I'm doing this week. Uh, and you don't want to be so reactive like I talk about this um, in the videos at the end of the book. Or you don't want to be so reactive that there's no consistency. You know, you have to like have some consistency with your process to like know what's changing. And a lot of times, we just start feeling better no matter what. Um, you could 
you know, like natural history is, is the turn. So just naturally you're going to return to like starting to feel better. Um, but there's lots of little ways to like change your training without stopping training. Um, or your other like allostatic stressors. So you can, um, allostatic stressors are sort of your, your life stressors. You know, like if, if, if you're in the middle of midterms, uh, and you have a, an event coming up, so your training load is way high and you're in the middle of midterms, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my, I am kind of maxed out and my knee actually hurts quite a lot. And a lot, it's funny because we, we relate, um, we relate like build up to an event. You know how often, uh, you know, two weeks out from an event, you're like, oh, there it is. I knew it. My knee is hurting just like I knew it was going to, you know, uh, a tale as old as time, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> and so we think, Oh, it's my training load, but actually it might just be the stress of the event approaching as well. You know? Um, so it's, it's all of those things also. Um, it's not just that you, your training volume is quite high at the time. A lot of times it happens in taper. Funny enough. Uh, so, um, but just knowing that and knowing like, oh, you can stay the course uh, while you're going. And, you know, uh, like when I work with somebody, I'll try to find exercises that give them a good sense of agency. Like, oh, it's, it's not like the tissue has to change um, in order for your pain to change. But it gives people a sense of like, oh, I can ask this tissue to work. Um, we kind of build a program together. Um, and tinker with all those other little things uh, that we think might be contributing um, so they can, you know, stay running, stay climbing, stay doing what we do. I, I like this. This So, Ryan, if we can continue training through pain, should we be looking at any other types of potential exercise that we could do that don't present as much pain but but may build up the tissue in a slightly different way and allow us to continue training, which doesn't necessarily mean running, right? Like if, if something hurts, maybe that 20 mile long run isn't the best idea, but maybe we can do a short, easy run, a lot of strength and mobility work around where, wherever something hurts, and then some aerobic cross training to bridge the gap because we're not actually going for that 20 mile run. Is this a fair sort of overview of what this approach might look like for a certain athlete on a given day? There it is. Um, there's some other little, um, in the book, there are some other little tricks you can use. You know, you can use, ex uh, you can, expectancy is a big part of uh, a pain experience. So if, you know, every time you go to use your knee, like one person, I, if there was a bike in the room, they had uh, some back pain. So literally we did like, um, like imagine work to be honest. And then it gradually, this was somebody who had been in uh, pretty significant pain after a bike crash. Um, but it can, you can, you try to reduce your expectation, which might be gently using the thing that actually hurts a little bit, you know, uh, or you can, that's called expectancy violation. Um, or you can, there, there's, quite a few ways to kind of come at it. If you, if you come up with an exercise that feels safe, you know, like if you do have a grumpy knee uh, and box jumps sound like the worst thing, worst idea ever, then you can just do like a weighted wall sit. You know, you can do other things uh, or uh, Spanish squat or something like that to tolerance. 
So just kind of sweet talking the system is basically what you're talking about doing, you know, trying to find a way to get it to calm down. Uh, while, while it's calming down, you slowly reintroduce your work and then try to increase it. Ryan, I'm a man of simplicity and this approach is, is really resonating with me because I have this very simple coaching philosophy of just do the best you can. When presented with some sort of adversity, let's do the best you can. Let's work around it in whatever way is reasonable. And it seems like this is a similar approach where just because you're in pain doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to take the next month off and sit on the couch and, you know, just let rest be your treatment. Instead, we are going to do the next best thing. We are going to try to, you know, if you can't run 10 miles, maybe you can run nine. Or if you can't run nine, then maybe you run eight. Or if you can't do that exercise, let's find a similar exercise. And, and it's more like we are going to do something. Let's open up this menu of possibilities and choose what you like to do, what doesn't cause any additional pain, and what's going to keep you training on a daily basis. That's the idea. But it's always my hope that you can come into an injury or a pain experience, I should say, um, and uh, exit that experience more fit. That's that's always my hope that you can, you know, in that process, even when it's unfun and you feel like you're on an emotional roller coaster, that if you can stay consistent, come out the other side uh, in a better place, that's usually my hope. Ryan, let me ask you a question that, that I often have to answer a lot from a lot of runners, and, and it's a tricky one. If you are experiencing some kind of pain when you go running, how do you know if it's a pain that you should not run through versus a pain that it's okay to, you know, maybe run cautiously through? Right. And that is, that is a tricky bit, um, to be honest. So there are certain things... Uh, there are certain things that really either a doctor or an experienced clinician that's worked with athletes might help you take off the table. Um, just those things that might truly be of medical concern. They are very rare. Most pain experiences uh, are just that, even though they might really cause some serious disruption in your training and life. Um, and they are not representative of anything that's a medical concern. But there are those occasions, um, like in 30 years of being a trainer, uh, I've worked with one person at a hip pain that um, just didn't quite respond to the way that I felt like it should. Uh, just out, so out of caution, uh, she got some imaging, which really I rarely uh, ask to do, but she did have cancer in that hip. But that is, in 30 years of training with a lot of people with hip pain, uh, many, many people, but on the rare occasion, you know, like probably less than one percent of athletes in the population is that going to happen. But if something is just not calming down, um, just to remove the sinister, uh, it might, you know, be worth taking a look. But if you have to go in with a large pinch of salt, because uh, there are going to be abnormalities, like I mentioned before, <laughs> you know, in your hip and in your knee. Um, so, uh, after the sinister has been taken off the table, just know that most likely those abnormalities are, um, quite normal. Yeah. This reminds me, I, I have a radiologist in the family and, and he's often saying how you should not just go image people all the time because you are going to find 
all kinds of things that are abnormal, but that are not problematic. And that there's a huge difference between the two. And, and all of a sudden, someone's going to be like, oh my God, I've got this growth in my abdomen and I get this weird, you know, splotch on, the, on this image in my brain. And, and you're, you are going to freak out for months because of all these false positives that are going to come up. And it goes back to the fact that we are a very complex biological system. We are not, not symmetrical. And that a lot of these things that might not be quote unquote normal doesn't actually mean that they're going to cause you personally any problems. And so th this seems very similar to me. Right. Yeah. Uh, MRIs are known for being nocebo. Uh, no, nocebo is the ugly kid brother of placebo. E even without any abnormalities being shown, um, they can have a nocebic effect. Uh, for people. So they can actually cause more problems, even if they don't show anything. So that I would always uh, give caution for imaging. Another very interesting thing you write about in the book is, is the fact that you even try not to really diagnose anything or, or give a label to what runners are experiencing. And, and even in this conversation, you know, you've corrected yourself instead of saying injury, you're saying pain experience. Uh, what is the drawback to formally diagnosing an injury and what makes it better if, if you just don't even know? To some people, you know, to those little type A folks that might be frustrating, uh, but, uh, not, not only, not only do I believe that, um, we shouldn't diagnose, I don't think we can diagnose. So it's literally counterfactual to say, um, you know, you have like, uh, facet pain or meniscal pain that it's that is not a possibility because it's never singular pain experiences are never singular in in nature if that makes sense so um so we really just can't say even with tendonitis you know this is one of the things that really frustrates people we know that you can have an extremely painful tendon and and it can be a perfectly healthy tendon and we know that you can have a very pathologized tendon, um, and it can be pain-free. So, uh, for most musculoskeletal um, conditions, or most musculoskeletal pain, I'd say, which is kind of a misnomer as well, um, it doesn't meet the criteria for causation. There's something called the human human irregularity theory of causations, um, and for most of those diagnoses, they, they don't meet the criteria. So if a runner comes to you and they're experiencing some sort of pain and they think it is patellofemoral pain syndrome, or they're like, my IT band hurts, I clearly have IT band syndrome. Is there a process that you kind of implement with them to get them back to fully participating in the sport? Is it something like, you know, we're just going to keep training around this thing until you're ready. Like what, what's the approach on a really practical, actionable level? You know, basically, uh, yes, if it's so hot and bothered, like I think we've, we've had, or we've all known that person that has it, uh, pain. So the iliotibial, uh, pain in the area of the iliotibial band. Um, so significantly they're like, Oh, I can barely get out of the car. This is awesome. So, uh, and when it's that bugged, sure. It might be worth letting it calm down a bit. You know, like you don't, don't, don't try to bully your nervous system because it's just not going to go well. Most often. 
so basically the idea is to kind of sweet talk your nervous system. So give it a second, let it calm down a bit. Um, um, and then realize that it's not representative of damaging your knee. Um, and then start gently asking it to do some work, find those ranges where it will tolerate it. Um, find that distance that it will tolerate, um, and then gently start introducing those activities. So I had somebody that was, uh, really concerned about wearing her knees out. Her, her mother had had two knee replacements, replacements. And so she just thought, uh, she was terrified of wearing her knees out. So incidentally, she had pretty significant knee pain, but, um, had Im- had had imaging done and there was they could not find anything with the knees. So uh, how we ended up um, how what I ended up asking her to do was going snow ski because I was like you know if you went to see somebody for this uh, then they would gently ask you to start using your knees. You would do you know knee exercises. Um, same with almost every part. If, if you have a shoulder that's you know grumpy, you're going to do shoulder exercises if you go see a clinician. Um, they're going to ask you to use the part that hurts. Um, and sure, they're going to ask you to know, not do the thing that's painful for a second, but you are absolutely going to try to return to the thing that's painful. And so um, I told her, you know, I said, this, this is exactly what they would ask you to do if you went to see a clinician. You're just going to go do it on a ski slope, and it's going to be fun. Um, so obviously, you know, she didn't just, um, she had always dreamt of snow skiing and had kind of had avoided it because she was so worried about wearing her knees out. Um, and so I got a video of her, um, uh, bombing down the bunny slope, woohoo. And, and I was like, man, I love my job. So, um, and, and she is, this was three years ago and she has continued to ski and get better and multi- do multiple activities that just scared her. So kind of a long answer to your question, but, uh, yeah, you're going to end up using the part in your treatment. You also mentioned something that I, that I want to highlight, and I believe you wrote about it in the book too. You said, uh, the skiing is more fun. What role does fun play in training as treatment? Because it seems like you should choose some type of training or treatment that you enjoy, that's fun for you, that's exciting, you know, because I, I think about going to the physical therapist's office and doing the, the list of eight exercises that they have. And I'm like, but that's not fun. I'm bored. You know, like I want to go do something right. that I'm interested in. <laughs> what role does fun have in all this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, with adherence, um, changing things up, variability um, is highly valuable. So you can change the terrain you run on, uh, make things fun. And in, in, if, if it's be distracting, you know? Um, so, uh, what I was talking about with expectancy, it can interrupt that expectation because you're in the middle of having fun. So, um, yeah. So it's a good way to bring down fear associated with activity is including some fun in there. Yeah. And it makes me think too, that, you know, because pain is this emotional experience that if you are having fun, and, and I'm thinking too, you're hanging out with a couple friends, you're doing some activity that you enjoy that, that is helping treat some problem that you have, like, like your skiing example, just the fact that you're distracted by having fun might actually be a really effective way at, at almost just ignoring the pain or, or it, it just doesn't come up because you're not fixated on it. 
Yeah, that is a problem with um, a lot of therapeutic programs. Is I've I've given the example of uh, uh, you know what a floater is, um, like in, in your eye. Yeah. Uh, so if if you if you went to you know an eye doctor, an ophthalmologist, an optometrist, and they told you to just focus on that floater, uh, uh, that is a recipe for insanity. You know what I mean? Like it, your nervous system will automatically eliminate that. It never leaves your eye. Uh, it stays there, but your nervous system eliminates it naturally. But when you get involved in a therapeutic program, that all you do is hyper-focus on pain and, and monitor it all day, um, then that can cause some real problems, you know, um, because you're, it builds in expectation of pain. Uh, your, your life starts from living around it, you know. You're like, am I breathing right? Am I doing all the things right? I'm so, am I using my knee right? Am I squatting right? You know, and all of a sudden you're this in this mental game of am I moving right? Which is just you, you when you never step in the same river twice. Is you, I don't know if you've ever heard that expression. Um, so in movements, kind of the same way. You're never going to squat the same way. You know, and once you do that one squat, you'll never repeat that squat again. It's gone. So, and it's kind of the same with all of our movements. You don't have to get in your head about moving right or running right or all those things. Um, and you, it includes with training or treatment. Um, there are many, many ways to come at that. Does that hyper-focus mean that at a certain level, some pain is is just, I don't want to say imagined, but it, it's just sort of created almost by our expectations? Oh, yeah. 100%. (laughs) I I think that's revolutionary right there. Just just knowing that one little piece right there. Yeah. So it's not, the mistake that can be made is, is thinking, oh, pain is all in my head. Um, But that's not, that's inaccurate. But that's no less inaccurate than saying the pain is all in my body. They are both inaccurate by by a long way. So it, it is a, uh, complex biological experience. Well, Ryan, I, I really appreciate this this perspective on pain. Uh, I, I found the book really interesting as, as someone who has suffered through pretty much every running injury that you can imagine over my, my <laughs> career and seeing way too many physical therapists, even though I love all of my physical therapists and all my PT guests I That's have here on, the, here on the podcast. <laughs> but Oh, it'd be nicer if I didn't have to be in their office so frequently. Um, (laughs) Your book gave me confidence in my ability to self-treat, but also confidence in just knowing that it's not as bad as it might feel. And and there's still a lot we can do around it. So I I definitely encourage anyone to go pick up your book, which you co-wrote with Matt Fitzgerald. Pain and Performance, The Revolutionary New Way to Use Training as Treatment for Pain and Injury. Ryan, thanks so much for your expertise, this this new perspective on pain and injury. I know with running, our injury risk is is kind of high. And depending on the study, it can be upwards of like 60, 70% of us are going to get injured every year. So this book is needed right now. Injured? Or yeah, see, injured. there I go. There I go again. <laughs> yeah, true. So we all are going to have that experience for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. And that's our show. 
Thank you for listening. And if you're a fan of my work here on the podcast or this conversation itself, please consider leaving a review or supporting our sponsors. Use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running Podcast and tell them they should continue sponsoring the show. First, hook yourself up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Element, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. And this does not have to be your first purchase. You'll get a sample pack with every flavor so you can try them all before deciding what you like best. Now, if you're not familiar, Element is my favorite way to hydrate. They make electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, artificial ingredients, or colors. I'm now in the habit of giving away boxes of Element at group runs whenever I go to them here in the Denver area, and everyone loves this stuff. It can be a super helpful way of preventing dehydration when you're running long or you're running very hard. And if you sometimes feel overly tired or you get headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness after long runs or workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Element. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions. Plus, Element is my go-to morning beverage if I've gone to one of Denver's many breweries the night before, and I want my morning to feel a little smoother. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get your free sample pack gift with your purchase, and you can get your hydration optimized for the upcoming season. Finally, get yourself 15% off your first purchase at Prevenex.com with code JASON15. Prevenex is a unique supplement company that holds itself to standards that the rest of the industry doesn't. And they're celebrating the release of Muscle Health Plus, which is a unique combination of amino acids, creatine, and ingredients that aid protein synthesis and absorption of amino acids. This is your anti-soreness supplement. It will help you prevent muscle damage, which is particularly important for aging runners who want to protect themselves from muscle loss and recover faster after hard workouts. Now, as is true for all of their products, Prevenex adheres to the highest of standards. Their ingredients are clinically proven to do what they say they're going to do. So yes, Muscle Health Plus has ingredients that are clinically proven to improve protein synthesis and the absorption of amino acids critical for helping promote lean muscle mass, strength, recovery, and better body composition. I've been consistently impressed with all of their supplements and how committed they are to transparent, clinically proven ingredients. From Joint Health Plus to Nurify, Immune Support, and now Muscle Health Plus, Prevenex has you covered no matter your needs. One listener, Melissa, just used our discount code and wrote, quote, I started taking Joint Health Plus first, and after years and years of taking glucosamine, I actually feel a difference with this. Now using Muscle Health Plus, and it seems to help me recover faster. Being new to this type of supplement, I'm looking forward to seeing how it helps with strength training. You can get 15% off your first Prevenex purchase by using code JASON15 at checkout. Visit Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and just remember, they offer a 30-day money-back guarantee where if you don't feel the benefits of their product, you get your money back, no questions asked. All right, my friends, that is the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being part of this community. And thank you for being so passionate about this sport. We'll talk soon. 